I'm a mythical Pandora, sent here to judge the universe. Do you have any idea what the weapon is? It could very well be a planet killer. I would really like to go on this mission, Admiral. Imagine having the power to annihilate entire worlds, and even the stars themselves. Humanity is worth saving. What have you done? Pandora. New episodes premiere October 4th, free next day, only on the CW app. If you like listening to Inglorious Trexperts, you'll love watching us. Really? Wait, how? I, guess, I guess you will. I guess you will. But how, how can one do that, Mark? Now you can download the free Electric Now app featuring video podcasts of The Inglorious Trexperts, The 430 Movie, Best Movies Never Made, and tons of free TV, movies, and more. You're saying it's so all, all free? All free? I'm saying it's free. 100% no free. 100%. There's no Patreon. There's no premium fees. There's no electronic frontier. Well, there's no All excuse there not to get it then. There's no excuse not to. That's what I'm saying. So download the Electric Now app today and start watching us right now. Need to make a call? Look for a police call box. That's where you'll find Two on Who, the new Doctor Who podcast from Electric Surge. Two on Who is available wherever you listen to podcasts. You must learn to listen to the rebel and the rogue, or you will not be allowed to come with me to Alderaan. If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital, wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. Experts. And uh, we got a great show for you today. It's called Conventional Thinking. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we're going to talk about people and their, uh, their different thoughts about Star Trek shows and uh, how some people think outside the box? No, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a pun. It's a pun about conventions. And if we're going to be doing puns, then we have to have with us the great writer, producer, rancateur, Mr. Ashley Edward Miller is back. Writer of such movies as Thor and X-Men First Class and a producer on shows like Black Sails, The Sarah Connor Chronicles. And who knows, maybe by the time this episode drops, Netflix will have actually announced the show he's working on. We don't know, but uh, we probably know. So. Ashley, welcome back. Thank you. Your mouth to, to God's ears. Maybe my show will even have a title, but that's a that's a long story. Um, it's it's great to be back, and I would like everyone to notice how well behaved I was, um, not saying a word before you introduced me. I was not a word, not a syllable. Silence, silence is golden. That was that was great. You're finally after uh, two years of doing these. I think you finally got the hang of it. 
And, and I have to admit that Darren announced, I guess, on his Facebook page that um, that we've been doing the show now for two years, which is insane because I never thought it would go that long. I thought it was like a mini series. I thought like, oh, we're going to talk about Star Trek. We do it for a couple of weeks and we'd we've be done. Taking this little thing that we've done as a lark and turn it into an immense waste of time. No question about it. So uh, uh, thank you, um, and uh, Ashley, for being a part of it, Lo, these uh, these two years and all our many guests. And today we're very excited because we have a new guest, hasn't been on the show before, but he um, he was uh, at the, the apex or a, a very crucial point in time uh, for, the, for Star Trek as a franchise. Um, a lot of people have talked about how those early conventions sparked the the flame that would burn so brightly in the 70s and of course lead to movies being produced and later uh sequel television series and none of that would have happened if the studio hadn't seen the passion that existed among the fans even after the show went off the air and i want to welcome uh he's a filmmaker a very very talented graphic designer who's done over 100 soundtrack CDs, including five of the Star Trek movies. Uh, he also did the beautiful La Desi design, the beautiful um, La La Land uh, original series soundtrack collection, which is now out of print. Or I would go on for about you know the next hour telling you how you have to buy it, but uh, you can't buy it anymore because it is out of print, and it is just one of the great soundtrack collections of all time. And it's a beautiful looking set, thanks to uh, Joe's Joe's work. Uh, he just finished a coffee table book uh, about uh, the paintings of Night Gallery, Rod Serling's Night Gallery. But before he did any of that, he was a young fan going to the original Star Trek conventions. And we're going to talk about that. Welcome, Joseph Kuriak. Mark, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, no, no, we're, we're great to hear. And where are you, uh, where are you beaming to us from? Uh, beaming from home of uh, Starfleet, uh, San Francisco. Fantastic. And uh, before we start the show, I want to just wish you on behalf of all the Trexperts and Ashley a, a very happy birthday. Well, thank you very much. It's been a nice weekend. Great. Well, um, obviously, conventions are a huge part of Star Trek lore. It goes back. God, I mean, Gene Roddenberry was so smart in that he uh, went to Worldcon after doing the cage and uh, where no one has uh, no man has gone before and was tub thumping the show before any, you know, Hollywood producers were doing uh, this. And he was so smart because at that point, all they knew was stuff like Irwin Allen and Lost in Space. And uh, there, there was such a, 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 a hatred and a, and a loathing among real sci-fi fans, the ones who read literature and sci-fi novels and Heinlein and Asimov, you know, for, for televised science fiction. They thought it was all danger, danger, Will Robinson. And Roddenberry sort of went into the belly of the beast. And with his amazing charisma, which is something people don't often acknowledge, you know, he went and won them over. He won over B. Joe Trimble and he brought costumes from the show and put on a... Um, he put uh, on a Romulan uh, outfit. He put on a Romulan outfit. He uh, uh, and he, I'm sure he took off a few Romulan outfits. <laughs> he put on, um, uh, you know, a fashion show with uh, actual costumes from the uh, from the series. And uh, I wanted people to, were so excited. I wanted to bring in the costumes and uh, have a, a lot of lovely young ladies show them off to the fans. 
Yeah, well, that too. And uh, <laughs> and and he, he, you know, not only showed the cage famously, but there was so much excitement about the cage that they, they asked him to, to, you know, show on the screen another episode. So it the conventions proved uh, a launching point for um, what would become a you know, fervent Star Trek fandom. But um, after the show was canceled, um, there are a couple of key conventions which Joe's going to tell us about. Uh, I think there's a little bit of argument as to what the first Star Trek convention was. A lot of people um, say it was a convention that was held in New Jersey in a, a, a library, um, that that was the first time a convention of Star Trek fans was technically held. But it's nothing like what we consider Star Trek conventions today. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about why, as a fan, you went to the convention, what that was about for you. Tell and, them, Joe. And, and, well, let's let's back this up a little bit, because I think a lot of your listeners, if they're if they weren't walking around in the 70s, it was a very different world. And I lived in New Jersey, 30 miles outside of New York. I could hop on a bus and get there in about an hour. And this was when New York was broke. Garbage strikes were everywhere. You know, uh, famously, Gerald Ford said, drop dead, drop dead New York, man. or at least that's what the headline said. And. Conventions were still, I, I, I went to comic book conventions, uh, I went to Famous Monsters Convention, I went to Star Trek Conventions this period, nothing like they were today. Uh, yes, you'd have a big ballroom that maybe sat two to 4,000 people, um, but it was just, you know, a, a fairly uncomfortable place. And the dealer's room, there was nothing taller than six feet in the dealer's room. You look at the co comic con now, these huge corporate uh, presentations and it'd be like guys with an easel or guys with a bulletin board at most but it was like a church bazaar and you go rummaging through these cardboard boxes and it was mostly t-shirts posters slides i remember rummaging through some of gene roddenberry's you know lincoln enterprises stuff and you hold up an eight by ten sheet of 35 millimeter slides and you're squinting it's like gee do i want that one do i want to pay a whole dollar for that <laughs> Yes. Yeah, homemade, a lot of homemade tribbles and oh my things God. like that. Not much was licensed. You had fanzines, you know, like T T T uh, T positive. What was T positive? Sure. And, and there uh, were art. The there Star Trek Well Committee. There were art shows where you could sell your art. In fact, I did a rather mediocre drawing of the Galileo Seven with a marker that someone bought for five bucks, yeah. and it some somebody reached out to me on Facebook having bought it off of eBay, wanted to know if I was the guy who did it. I mean, I'm not sure I wanted to take credit, but the fact <laughs> is that somebody thought this was a valuable artifact. And how old were you at the time when you were doing this? Uh, this was like how, how 16 to 18, roughly, was, you know, prime. Old enough to be able to go into the city by myself, right. but not driving yet. And, mm. uh, uh, you know, but I had a crew. Uh, I had a crew of guys that I grew up in a small factory town where, you know, if you were into the arts, you were called names that I can't say now in the 21st century. Uh, but, you know, we had a small crew. We made movies in the summer and we started, we discovered, I, I don't know, one of the guys got a flyer from a comic book store or something. We said, oh, we got to go. And we actually concocted five costumes in my basement on a Sunday afternoon and then drove in on the New Jersey Turnpike in costume to the Americana Hotel in 1974 for that first convention to, um, you know, we got there probably five or six o'clock for a seven o'clock costume ball. 
And again, the costume parades were nothing like they are today. This was a motley group of 70 or 80 people. I remember one guy was dressed as Ruck with a paper mache skull and he was painted gray. And we said, why did you paint him gray? I said, well, that's what color he was on my TV set, which was black and white. No reference, no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we'd be standing in line. Isaac Asimov worked the line, came down, kind of just cleaved through the crowd with his prodigious uh, lamb chop sideburns. Yeah. And just, you know, they would like an like, icebreaker. Exactly. <laughs> and on request, he would sign young ladies, he would sign autographs for young ladies, but only on their bosoms. Hmm. I didn't yeah. see that I, kind of action until I went to a Grammys uh, concert with um, uh, Shock Jock. Can't remember his name. Um, anyway, and uh, I you know, built, people, pardon me? people forget too. I think I said people forget also that for kids of a certain age to go into New York at that time, I think you set the the table very well. Not only was New York um, out of money. But it was dirty and filthy, and Times Square was uh, crappy. But most of the rest of the city was too. Right. And a lot of these conventions that took place at the Statler Hilton, which was across from Penn Station, which was just awful yeah. uh, and and rundown and sleazy. And then you had the Commodore Hotel over by Grand Central. I mean, these were not. This was not the New York Disneyland of today. I oh mean, my God! No. You know, parents would be very. Uh, I think concerned about sending their kids to uh, any of these places. This was the uh, New York of the uh, De Laurentiis King Kong remake. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that was '76, and that was so it was filmed in '75. So oh, yeah, it close. is. These conventions were what '74, about, about about the same time. Listen, I saw a Taxi Driver in a theater on 42nd Street, and it was virtually in sense around because right because <laughs> all the, the stuff theater was like around. it was yeah. on screen. So, um, so anyway, so the five of us went to the convention and lo and behold, um, we had, we took the three top prizes and we'll get a close up of me and my buddies. We've got a Vulcan princess in the foreground, but I'm the Klingon. Yeah, look at that. Wow. That's a better Andorian makeup than I saw last week. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> for, the, for those of you listening to the audio uh, version. Um, uh, Joe is showing this uh, lovely photo of this uh, uh, gang of cosplayers that weren't cause called cosplayers yet. They were no. just fans in costume. Those causes are awesome, by the way. But it, Thank it's, you. they're beautiful. Well, what was yeah. even they're better? All... No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say they're all grassroots, grown at home. Because mm-hmm. there was nothing. Yep. This was the nothing time in Star Trek fandom, and all the creativity came from the fans. My Klingon blaster was made out of a uh, deodorant tube and a, a toothpaste cap, along with a couple of pieces of plastic and a, uh, uh, a hand-carved balsa handle, mm-hmm. which someone offered me 50 bucks for, and I, I said no, but then afterwards <laughs> I said, I could have made another one. <laughs> but what's interesting, a lot of allowance. when you see this group, it's almost all women. Yeah. Because they could make costumes. That's true. And my crew, led by Ron Maslanka, who, who eventually went on to work at the Ringling Brothers as a clown, did w- extensive makeup. We worked great on the costumes. We kind of cobbled stuff together and stapled fabric and mm-hmm. things like that. But the women, the girls, could the make. Women. The women. Yes. 
they could sew. And so we've got a Vulcan princess. We've got uh, from the girl from uh, uh, For the World is Hollow. Oh, and we got Lee Merriweather in the back corner. Oh, my goodness. There's Young to Pring behind your head there. Yes, yes. <laughs> from the photo. <laughs> That's awesome. And a Selic. I like the Selic. Yeah. The Selic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, That's really Harry cool. Oh, and next to it. Very That's good. That's great. <laughs> well, the, the judge of the contest was none other than Fred Phillips. Ah. Oh, wow. And so he gave our endorsement. Now tell people who Fred Phillips was, who was the, uh, the makeup, uh, uh, the, the head department head, the, the head makeup artist on the original series. That's right. So that was quite That's an remarkable. honor. And uh, so uh, our Andorian, Larry, Larry had a great face, uh, kind of long and narrow. He made a great Karloff Frankenstein and another one. But he was also just willing to put up with these terrible makeups. <laughs> so he had... Roughly nine pounds of cotton and latex on his head, oh uh, sealed up. Uh, when he was done, of course, he opened it up and a half a gallon of water ran out of his uh, <laughs> under the mask. But, you know, it was a it felt like an achievement. So we were we were hooked. Now, it's interesting because, you know, until Star Trek conventions, Mo the demographic was largely male for for science fiction conventions. They were, you know, the World Cons, uh, the, the 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 other conventions, which were primarily devoted again to to literature, to uh, science fiction books. And uh, now Star Trek changed all that. Why why do you think that was that all of a sudden you see all these women getting involved, and a lot of the organizers of these conventions were were women. You know, I think it was a safe space. You know, what we all enjoy about conventions today was true even then, you know, that you could go into a place where it was okay to admit uh, what you loved and fly your freak flag or your geek flag. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember walking around the convention and, and seeing a backroom of Filkers. I feel like I'm a, a National Geographic. You see the Filkers in the wild. <laughs> we're we're going to need an appendix for this. So a fil filking was folk songs based on science fiction topics. And so this is, they kind of came out of the hippie generation and science fiction fans looking for a way to express and they would be singing songs. And there's actually a book of Star Trek filking. You can uh, find it on the, uh, on the, in the internet. One I little just... story that I think is true, that the origin of the word filking came from a typo in a, uh, uh, in a schedule for a convention that it said filk singing because they, <laughs> they, they just made a typo and it stuck for years and years. You just I explained religion. For that reason. <laughs> Darren, you grew up on the East coast. Did I you did. go to any of these conventions? I never got to go cause I was too young. I was seven years old at this point in 1974. Um, so I certainly couldn't go into the city at that point. I, again, was like, you know, 25 miles out of New York uh, in, in suburban New Jersey. Um, but uh, I still enjoyed it, and I, you know, I had all the toys and everything, but my folks would never let me go to, you know, something like that at that age uh, yet. I was, I was fortunate a couple of my crew members were 18, 19, 20 years old, yeah. so... Uh, I could go with them. Right. They were safe. Right. So, you know, this convention was a big deal. And we said, we're never driving in again, especially after we tried taking a car to the Port Authority and getting made up on the top deck 
we were actually pulled over by some cops and they took us down. They thought oh it was very goodness. funny. And we missed our convention uh, as a result. So next year we got a, we got a, um, a room and <laughs> our next two, our and next two costumes that won was a Mugatu and a Horta. Which also looks better than it did on the show. <laughs> Well, you know, when we really saw, I mean, that was the thing. We never really got a good look at the uh, Mugatu. And then when we saw what a horrible face it was, right. we were really glad that we just went with a standard ape. Uh, yeah, I think that's Cornelius, isn't it? As a matter of fact, it is. That's another story. But uh, <laughs> Planet of the Mugatu. So, uh, yeah. right. So our Mugatu got second prize and our Horta got first prize. And the good old Larry was crawling around on, on a carpet that, Looked and felt a lot like the Horta itself. Am I crazy or is the Horta smiling? Well, why wouldn't it? Yeah, you're true. It's at a convention. Nobody's <laughs> killing eye or any of that. A carpet know. on the carpet. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, we had such yeah, a good... Oh, sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, but this is really uh, amazing creativity. And I think your story captures the spirit of so many, you know, that... that basically forged a really tight friendship with other people who had common interests and together you guys could celebrate those interests, you know, through the conventions. And there was such an innocence to them back then because they were nonprofit. They were really born out of love and the studio didn't have its grubby, greedy fingers in it. Um, it was people that just loved Star Trek who wanted to put on a show to celebrate what they love. Hopefully, Joe, when this when this episode comes out, we'll be able to. Can we use these photos to put up absolutely. on the uh, absolutely on the web? Because uh, you got to see these; they're awesome. Well, and and we were so thrilled because you know it was this was an expression. Star Trek was very important in the early seventies. There wasn't a lot of good sci-fi yeah. out there, and of course, when they started. You know, I think they were showing it on WPIX uh, Channel 11 in New York, mm -hmm. and it might have been at 6.30. We had dinner at, at 5, so it was perfect, you know, because ready, we could go, like, zoom. And, of course, it was like, who can name the episode exactly. in four right. beats yep. or in three beats? Because we, we knew them by heart. And um, so when you started to become more of a... a, a an expert on these because you went to a number of these. How do you feel the conventions changed uh, during the years that you attended them back in New York? Well, they got more organized. I remember at the second one uh, that we attended, Roddenberry actually was there. In fact, Roddenberry and Majel rode an elevator with our Mugatu and autographed the horn. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, Gene wrote, and I quote, ladies, watch out for this end. And then he signed it, Gene Bradbury. Gene Bradbury. Yeah. Thank goodness. Well, I think they. I think they've been partying in the in the lounge. No. I think. <laughs> That's all. Awesome. It's only speculation on my part. But again, That's... it was so casual. I rode an I rode an elevator with uh, Walter Koenig, and we're the only two people in it. And you know, I was a little shy about saying anything to a celebrity at that point. So we just kind of made eye contact and he nodded nicely toward me, but I got the vibe that he didn't feel like talking. Right. But the fact that I could just get into an elevator with him and that Asimov would be working the, working the room, uh, things like that, that 
Gene and Majel could uh, just sort of stumble into Ormagatu and hang around. That's very different from when you have at Comic-Con now. People are being shuttled in, in oh, SUVs yeah. and shuttled out, and yeah. in and, the back and door and out the secret, back door. Secret back rooms and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, there's no contact at all. And um, Well, also you have to remember that for the cast, it was all something new too. This is before they'd done hundreds, if not thousands of conventions over the years. And it became a source of revenue for them because at those early conventions, they were doing it for free. They were doing it because they thought if there was enough interest, maybe NBC would bring the show back. They, they, they weren't thinking, oh, how can I leverage this? Right. Now that all changed with the arrival of uh, Al Schuster on the scene, didn't it, uh, Joe? Well, and that's a perfect segue, Mark, because um, in 1975, after the committee that had been running the international Star Trek cons, Al Schuster got dis, uh, disgruntled, went off, and he threw up another competing Star Trek, which is called the Star Trek convention, a month later in February at the Commodore Hotel, which is now notorious for being a future supervillain and current president's um, first major hotel deal in New York City. Um, don't remind me. <laughs> the Commodore was an absolute pit, but we were able to afford a room for four days and we got there and we completely trashed your place with carpet latex. You know what, Joe? It's no bigger a pit than, than the Rio is now, <laughs> to be fair. It's keeping up the grand tradition of Star Trek conventions. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, Darren was very excited about going to the show this year because they were moving it to the Strip so he'd be able to stay at Caesars instead of the Rio, which, of course, is a much better hotel than the Rio, which is, as Darren said, it's, it's a hole. absolutely ranks right alongside the Statler Hilton and the Commodore and the Americana and all those classic, the, the Roosevelt, the Hotel Roosevelt. Oh, my God, those. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, so what was really big, a really big deal about this uh, Al Schuster's convention is he got William Shatner to show up. And Shatner had never been to a convention before. And this was a big get. And before he arrived, he did an episode of Geraldo Rivera's right. Good Night America, which was a chat show. And what was really fun was they, uh, one of the producers was at the convention and asked some of us to be in the audience. Oh my goodness. So well. And talk about great new friends we made. The two women who are flanking me, uh, there's Chris Lundy, who was a seamstress for uh, LaBelle, and so she was really good at costumes. And then on my uh, on the other side, uh, dressed as Shauna from um, Triskelion. Gamesters of Triskelion, yeah. Is the legendary Angelique Trevere, a.k.a. Destiny. Now, An Angelique was a exotic dancer who also completely embraced the William Wertis um, uh, uh, ethos. <laughs> yes. So she, everything she wore looked like it was about to fall off. Right. Yeah. But unlike, say, Angelique um, Pettyjohn, who needed a little help in the contour department, Angelique Trevere um, <laughs> did it all on her own. As, you'll, as you may see in some of the other photos. But um... yeah. it's one of the great quotes of all time, uh, Bill Tice. It's like uh, about Bill Tice's work. It's like something that uh, someone tried to throw on and missed. <laughs> 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 well, 
But anyway, so this was the beginning of a special relationship I had with Bill Shatner because I really wanted to meet him. And of course, he was at this point very uncomfortable. He was very ambivalent about the fans. And, and if you watch the episode, which is available uh, on Geraldo's uh, site, that's where I got these screen caps, you can, um, you can see him sort of hemming and hawing about, you know, well, we didn't know it was going to be any good. <laughs> I um, still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But so he did show up at the convention and that's where the fun really began. So... Um, for this convention, I had my old reliable uh, Klingon outfit. Nice. And you know, you can say what you want about uh, being a Trekkie, not being good for finding girlfriends, but I found that it was had a salutary effect. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had to be in the right place at the right time, Joe. That much I, I count myself as being very lucky. <laughs> and in this case, my friends were stuck in an elevator for three hours, so I had to Passed the time with uh, this Klingon lass. So that was okay. <laughs> Cease hostilities. <laughs> well, so Shatner was the judge of the costume convention that time. And, and things, were, things were beginning to tighten up a little bit. It was, you know, at the previous convention, Roddenberry showed the blooper reel and people wanted more. So he showed it in reverse. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Because it was a way to fill another 10 minutes or seven minutes or whatever. And we didn't care because we never knew there was such a thing. <laughs> but so this convention was bigger, grander, uh, a lot more people. And um, Shatner was the judge. So I, I liked dressing as a Klingon because I was often doing makeup for my pals. And this particular event, we had 10 or 12 friends come and we dressed them all. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a, uh, a Gorn. We had a uh, couple of Klingons. We had, um, oh, what, what else was it? Um, oh, there, we had Muds, uh, Muds Norman with his right. stomach hatch. Right. We had a salt vampire. We had Baylock. Uh, Questor made an appearance. <laughs> wow, we busy. Cuts. So I was running around in the Klingon costume, but I got up on stage and they gave me a mic. So... What do you say when you're a Klingon and William Shatner is sitting over on the dais? Well, you remind people that your captain, tin-plated though he is, is an oversexed, overweight, with delusions of being an actor. <laughs> and then, of course, there's a beat with, with some laughter from the audience. And then Shatner turns to me and says, you may think this is a pen, and I happened to be carrying a broadsword. So I picked it up and said, you may think this is a sword. Big laughs from the audience. <laughs> and I motioned to leave the stage. <laughs> and two people rush up to me and I think, uh-oh, I'm in trouble because I'm waving a sword around. And they go, don't ever, always let the, the star have the last laugh. That was the concern. Not waving a sword at him. Oh, no, no. This is 1974 in New York. I mean, what could possibly go been, wrong? You could have been holding him up. <laughs> well, it's interesting, too, because, of course, the conventions until oh that point had largely been nonprofit, but Al Schuster was looking to uh, start making money. You know, that's why he left the committee. Yes. And, you know, this, this sort of pre, this is the beginning of real Star Trek. 
<laughs> you know, it, yes, it's like all the, the 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 hopeful idealism of of Star Trek starts to evolve into what it would later become with you know feuds and all the all this stuff. So you have these two, you know, Al Schuster or Al Scheister, as some people called him, versus um, the uh, the committee. And, uh, you know, now the actors, because I, I, Chatner was paid for that appearance, all started to realize, oh, we can we can make money on these things. Well, and, the, and oh, because the next year, uh, I think that uh, Jimmy Doohan and uh, Walter and Michelle um, uh, and and maybe Leonard showed up um, at the next convention. I remember it was a big deal that I don't think the whole crew was there, but a, a good portion of them. And that was the shift. And of course, at that point, then it was much more organized, much more regimented. And it was like the, the church bazaar feeling was kind of falling away. So that was 1976 then? Yes. Okay. Because 1976. Bicentennial. Right. 1976 was the year that I went to see Gene Roddenberry at Keene College in mm. New Jersey doing his, you know, his college tour. Bless you, Mark. And again. Um Thank you. But uh, yeah, and that's that's where he, you know, it was a huge auditorium filled with people and he gave his spiel and he showed the uh, the black and white cage uh, and he showed the blooper reel. And that was the most fantastic thing I'd ever seen. This is a shot that actually came out of Star Trek 365. I was so happy to see our Telosian, I'm sorry, our um, Tellarite Right. And our um, salt vampire. And in the back, you can catch a little bit of the Gorn. I see him back there, yeah. And then uh, the fetching gal in red is actually our pal uh, Chris again. And this is supposed to be Lieutenant Moress in casual dress oh my goodness. or off-duty. And, and I made the, um, the cat face for her out of a slush rubber mold. <laughs> it was like, we got there, and she said, can you help me do this? And I was like... Yeah, sure. And I sculpted something out of clay and overnight because when when Chris asks for something, I'm going to say, sure. Sure. And uh, there's Angelique again. Wow. Uh, so that it's, you know, it was great that we we didn't have a lot of friends that we repeated, but there were a few that became very good for the duration of the conventions. And right. then we never saw them again. I have to say, you know, I've been to a few conventions in my time and seen a few people wearing costumes and the pictures that you've shown us so far are just astonishing because of just, you know, the, the time and the availability of materials and what must have gone into it. I mean, I mean, you've told us some of that, but I mean, how many hours did you guys spend just, just oh, well, was, for these days? Thank you for asking that question. You know, Ron, Ron Maslanka, who, who's still working as a clown and, and, and he builds full-size dinosaurs that he can walk around in and stuff for kids' uh, schools, worked, worked his ass off. And you have to understand, again, all we had, Dick Smith had done a book for Famous Monsters. It was like how to do makeups. And they were many of them were goofy or very simplistic, but it was like that was our Bible. And it said to use latex. Well, where do you get latex? Right. We found it at carpet stores at $12 a gallon. And I don't think this stuff was really cleared for, you know, uh, human <laughs> consumption. And we're blotting that stuff on our faces and breathing those fumes for hours. And yes, we worked certainly. I can't believe that we did the two back to back. Just crazy. 
it, it was there like a, a design like prototype prototyping process with all of that, oh, or no, no, no. you just no, it was for it. You know, uh, and we were doing facial casts and stuff. Uh, but I would say I would say each costume probably at least a hundred hours. Wow. You know, and, and that you know that, re- that translates into what like five or six consecutive weekends. Yeah. Yeah, working yeah. around the clock. Well, that, that's what most people don't realize. The amount of work that goes into doing this for just a short amount of time because it's it's the creativity. It's the creativity bug that needed to be, uh, you know, dealt with because of the inspiration from Star Trek. Oh, my you know? God. Yeah. I mean, we uh, I, there wasn't much else. I mean, I, listen, I got into this partly because I read the making of Star Trek in sixth grade. Absolutely. And then followed by the making of, of 2001 and then yep. Gerald's book on the making right. of Troubled Tribbles. And that just blew my mind because yes, I can do these things. I, I, I do these things. Right. You mean I could really do it. And that started a process. We're making super eight movies every summer. Sure. So it was great. These, these were in the winter. So that was, you know, took up November, December getting ready. Right. And in the summer, we'd make a 20 minute, you know, monster kid movie and uh, with dinosaurs on the loose and stuff like that. It's funny when we talk about the Star Trek being interactive, interactive Star Trek. And what you guys were doing was like real interactivity with Star Trek. It was. And, and it was really fun because once we started staying at the conventions, it was like, hey, we don't have to dress up just once. Right. We can figure out what's an easy costume to wear on Saturday morning. Like, so I had a crew of Klingons on two occasions. And we just went around and did things like, you know, push people's donuts into their coffee and other, you know, nefarious Klingon things. Farting in elevators. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when did you guys start to lose interest? Like, when did it's, you know, obviously after 76, that was such a key convention. Um, and the conventions continued and obviously creation got into the game. Uh, they were doing conventions, you know, baseball card shows and things in New York. Uh, Phil Suling had his comic book uh, shows. But when, when did you start to, you know, lose interest in, in the well, I can't. I can't say it was entirely the conventions, although certainly after going to three or four Star Trek conventions in three years and then also going to three or four other comic book related ones, you start to see all the same faces. Uh, Jerry Olinger's table right, was yeah. always there. And uh, a lot of the same guys selling a lot of the same comic books and tchotchkes. And so th- there was a little weariness to that. And also, I mean, frankly, I-, I have to make a full accounting, but we certainly went through 20 key characters from Star Trek. You know, right, yeah, there were probably yeah. a couple that got away. Right. But actually for our last appearance, we did Yarnick. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> From the wow. South Curtain. Wow. That's yeah, nine feet tall and driving it in on the top of somebody's station wagon. He's not aerodynamically <laughs> designed. Like a Chevy Chase vacation movie. Yeah, exactly. Star Trek vacation. Did you ever find out what was stronger, good or evil? Uh well, I, I hope it was good because uh <laughs> we won. <laughs> you won. You the costume kind who was the judge i you know i don't remember at that point um colonel green (laughs) (laughs) that's Um, great well you should have but you know that was part of it mark you know we were all now getting into college 
And it was like, we don't really have time for this. You know, when we were taking care of ourselves, <laughs> we were, uh, you know, we were responsible for more stuff uh, than we had in high school. In high school, we had the, the, the ability to, to take 100 hours sure. a piece right, to make sure. uh, six yeah, costumes. Once real life puts its influence on you, you don't have as many choices anymore. That's correct. And have you ever, like, subsequently gone back to any, I mean, like, when, um, oh, sure. for instance, like, in, uh, in San Francisco, where you live uh, for many years, uh, Comic-Con uh, did WonderCon up there. Uh, do you do you go, oh, and yeah. how do you feel the conventions have changed? Well, there's there's so much more corporate. I mean, I I, I, w- I would say that I did one about one a decade until um, the past ten years, where I've I've had reasons to go to Comic Con. My brother's a cartoonist, and so he's had some books uh, open there, so there was reason. I actually had two films play at Comic Con, so I got to go down for those, uh, and that was you know fun to just luxuriate but it's exhausting it it feels like a monumental task i have to say that there was something charming about being able to walk the dealer's room in an hour sure and see everything at least know what's there and then you could go back and and dig in i love that your badge that that uh, what is that from 76 the, the, the 74 the, actually 70 wow. the 74 i mean that's that's great and you think how easy it would be to um <laughs> to, to, to uh, counterfeit those now and 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 what people don't realize who complain hey i tried to get tickets to a uh, comic con but i couldn't get them you know 6 months before well you know the the fire marshal was closing down those conventions at the time when you were standing online and they literally couldn't sell any more tickets to yeah. these Star Trek conventions. It looks so you like you go into Manhattan. No, oh, go ahead. What? 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 Darren? I, I was just going to say. You go into uh, into Manhattan. Well, go ahead. It, Joe, it looks like your badge uh, follows follows the style guide of the Franz Joseph books. Oh, you know that's an interesting detail. So that's uh, that uh, you're a style extended. Yeah. Yeah, or microgramma sometimes. Yes, oh, absolutely. Ooh. I haven't thought about that typeface <laughs> in a while. <laughs> oh, let's let's geek out on fonts for a few minutes. I would love to have an episode all about fonts. I think well, we've been be talking fun. about that. We want to do an episode on um, the typefaces of Star the typography Trek. Typography of Star so, Trek. It's, you know. Anyway, do go on. We're, we, except for <laughs> Star Trek Two, we're not going to talk about Star Trek Two. <laughs> So I'm I'm curious as as involved as you guys have been in uh, in Trekdom, did you uh, ever harbor any desire to do uh, any cosplay? You know, no. um, Mark didn't. I I have. I've I've gone to uh, the uh, Las Vegas show a couple times as uh, uh, pro counsel from uh, Bread and Circuses, um, just because it's fun and you get to walk around and goof around. Um, but, uh, I never did as a kid, uh, just because we were, you know, we were not in the position to, you know, do any of those kind of things. And I, mm. I didn't have a, a creative group of friends like you did. So well, and we were I was sort of on my own. We were a desperate band because we were surrounded <laughs> by jocks. Right. Know? Oh, sure. we had a couple we of were all. From drama club. <laughs> couple of people from art class and they yeah. all weren't all necessarily into star trek but it was it was a cool project right well, i definitely did the cosplay thing when i was a little kid but i never went to a convention it was like and i've told this story 
before, but my brother, who's got six years on me, um, you know, had a Star Trek club and he made uniforms for everybody because he's just insane and very particular. Um, and for reasons I still don't understand, he gave his little brother, me, the red shirt. Uh, <laughs> you really don't understand those reasons? I don't now? understand. Why? Why would, what did the red shirt mean? But uh, yeah, I cosplayed a red shirt when I was five years old. For Obviously, no damn you were Scotty. Obviously, yeah. you were Scotty. He would Scotty. go out in the middle of the street. He would push me in front of ice cream trucks. Sure. I don't know what that was about. Crazy. <laughs> it was a good costume, though. We had like the yeah. model phaser and tricorder and communicator. It was awesome. Although I Mark was so, did, I've but, seen Mark in cosplay once. Once I because I had no choice because it was for a friend's <laughs> wedding and it was a costume <laughs> wedding, and I'll Ooh. never live that down. What? It was great though. You and Orion's yeah. girl, Mark. Ming the Merciless. Oh, cool. And, and my date was Princess Aura. Nice. So it's pretty good. But, yeah, it was, but never to be repeated. And I have photos uh, to prove it. And my... uh, if you don't want them released, I will accept. <laughs> I will accept PayPal and Venmo. <laughs> my uh, my daughter is now very into cosplay, so that's that's my revenge. But uh, but, but Mark, uh, to get back to your to get to your, back to your question about sort of like the the final bells on uh, on Star Trek conventions. For me, actually, it was my third and final confrontation with William Shatner. Oh, because uh, I started. Da, da, uh, da, 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 da. We, we need the musical cue. Go ahead. So I started. Go. I started junior college, and uh, Shatner was doing his college tour, dressed in a black uh, leotard and a gold chain, and coming out to um, perform. What was he and trying to perform things other than Star Trek? Trek. So he yeah. read a little Shakespeare. I think you read an excerpt from the War of the Worlds. Um, may have done a song. I, I can't. I can't vouch for that. I may be m merging. This was around memory. his transformed man period. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was on the report. I was a reporter on the college paper. So, given my creds, I got to interview him backstage. So this was very exciting, but I was 18 years old. I had never really been in a room with, I had passed a few celebrities mm -hmm. on the street in New York and, and just sort of been like, Oh my God, that's James Farantino, you know? Uh, <laughs> so what? But uh, this was different being in a room with, you know, a, uh, a legend and also a huge influence. I come from a family of three brothers. I'm the oldest and I've got, I'm wearing the green command shirt. You know, today, because the gold, I don't look gold, good in gold. But, but, you know, my middle brother, Steve, is a very logical guy, shall we say. My youngest brother is, uh, tends to be a little hot headed and uh, concerned about doing the right thing for the people. And I got to be, you know, Captain Kirk in the trio. So here was my role model, right. like so many of us. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, try to imagine. <laughs> So I go into this room, you know, I, I, there's one handler there. Mm -hmm. uh, I say, oh, he can go in now. And I go in and I discover that there's also a kid from a local high school and his mom to join me for the interview. <laughs> so immediately I feel the ground shifting below my feet. Oh. And the kid is, is literally asking questions like, what was your favorite phaser setting? Oh, oh. Yeah. 
and I'm just like, I'm looking for a way Bill to establish like that. some cred. And I blurt out, Mr. Shatner, you may not remember me, but I was the Klingon with the sword back in January. <laughs> he takes a step back and goes, that was you. <laughs> and then the curtain fell. And we were in rote um, celebrity land. And, you know, any hope I had of having a real, anything resembling a real conversation with this guy was over. So it was a big lesson. Don't admit your geek credentials too early, if at all. Never, never. That it will, it will never help you. <laughs> Unless you're on the Inglorious Trexperts. Right. This is a safe space right. for you to admit your geekdom. We, we, but I we did will... manage to have a little bit of a conversation about, whoops. Yes. Uh, yes. Barbary we're... Coast. <laughs> and that Star was. Star Trek movie. There was, that was very exciting to be December of 75 or 76. December 76. So what? We were still three years away. Yeah. Right. But they were probably uh, starting on the God thing. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's about right. They may have been Titans at that point. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it may have been Planet of the Titans. So. <laughs> the, wow. The long, you got the, the scoop. Road. Joe, you got the scoop. You broke the story. Yeah. What do you know? If, <laughs> if only we had a readership of more than 500. Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> That's hysterical. Well, I mean, what a great, what a great experience. That's the experience everyone growing up on Star Trek should have, though. What a Getting remarkable Shatner. No, yes. well, no, well, no, too. no, 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 no. That's not the experience. But the, the experience you had. With <laughs> Most of us on this panel here have been yelled at by Shatner. By the way. <laughs> yes, but some of it professionally. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Bill's awesome. So um, anyway, but uh, what a remarkable thing to, to, to have this band of this camaraderie that, that Star Trek brought you together, do all these amazing creative things, have this great outlet uh, and, and just enjoy and, and, and get away and do all this stuff. And, you That's know, exactly I think right, that, Mark. there was nothing else that would inspire that kind of camaraderie. TikTok. Yeah. There was no TikTok. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the thing that this show you know, we keep coming back to the original series and that era of the 70s because there was a creative ferment that can never be recaptured and that people who grew up on the later shows will never know. And it's sort of sad because well, it was so things. remarkable. What? It was hard to love. It was hard to love things. Then. Like in the, in the sense that it was it was it was difficult that you had to put effort into truly loving something like Star Trek. Now you can just be somebody with a Twitter account. You know, Joe, and yeah. oh, I love it. Okay, sure you do. Joe, but I have you a spend hundred hours making a costume and like getting picked up by the cops at the Port Authority. Like, no, no, you didn't. You don't love it. You just like it a lot. <laughs> Joe, I have a question about that photo behind you. Um, yes. In the back row on the uh, on the right hand side, there is a person in a turban. That looks like it's from the Gold Key comic cover. I think it might be. <laughs> Can we play runner of that shot? <laughs> oh my goodness! You know, Stop. it was really, 
and this is not everybody who was there. I don't right. know quite how we got this, but this was this was a big spread in the art section of the Star Ledger, uh, Newark wow. Star Ledger magazine uh, newspaper, which right. you know was a big deal at the time. Absolutely. And again, it was just um, it, it's remarkable to me. I've had a terrible Xerox of that picture for most of the past four decades, and this mm. just showed up on Facebook a couple of um, about a year ago. That's amazing. Wow. So it's 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 amazing to me to see detail that I just completely forgot. Stored here with every detail. <laughs> <laughs> Computer enhanced four two seven one. No, that, that look that's great, and I'm I'm so glad because uh, you know we talk about a trip down memory lane, but you know conventions have changed so much, and and they're the great nonprofit conventions like Comic Con, um, you know, which do capture that experience to a certain extent, you know, the masquerade is so honest and, and, and fun. And, um, you know, they do put on an in- incredible show in San Diego. Um, you know, you look at a lot of um, the cre- and creation just lost their license to Star Trek. They had sort of become very associated with Star Trek over the last, you know, few decades, but now, um, you know, they've done their last official Star Trek uh, a convention, but they'll continue to do conventions in the coming years. And, you know, there's a new licensee, which I think will officially be announced soon. Um, and it'll be interesting because I have a feeling that that will go very much in this direction that we've seen of, you know, glorified puffery, you know, right. uh, uh, yeah. you know, promotion, Where uh, it's, marketing. It's not, not, it's not a convention of fans. It It's a convention of licensees that fans go to. Well, and it's also a lot of these conventions now it's a way to create amplify uh a buzz and announcements through social so sure. to make an announcement to you know a thousand two thousand people in a room that they know will be amplified through uh social media and through right. reporting on all these fan sites so that they're really reaching hundreds of thousands of people you know by spending the money to do something at a convention but it's not really about the pe- it's never any about the people in the room anymore it's right. not in the room where it happens. It's about, you know, everywhere else where this news gets amplified. And it's well, sad. And I can't say enough about also, it was not easy to find this stuff out when we were kids. Right. Uh, and again, just like the, the lost art of flipping through a record store and discovering something you didn't know existed and going home and trying it out and, or flipping it on the radio. The same thing here. Um, Details that were completely a mystery to us remained a mystery for decades. And now, you know, people look it up, they're bored, there's, it's, there's no excitement. It's, it's all been pre-digested. And I have to say that um, we may have been creative kids, but we were inspired to greater creativity because we had to work so hard sure. to yeah. get there. So it was a great lesson for me as a working artist. I, 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 absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, even the act of, doing a self-addressed stamped envelope, which is how you would get a newsletter or something from the Star Trek Well Committee where you'd have to write a letter to yourself and put a stamp in and then put it in an envelope and then request. The act of writing a letter uh, required so much more effort and Mm -hmm. an investment than, you know, now. don't get me started on having to drop off my Super 8 film at the photo mat and wait for three days for the rushes. And then come back overexposed and you'd be like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the photo mat. I mean, it's so funny because 
the, the, a few of those photomats, they still exist, the little huts, but they've been turned into locksmiths and other things. But yes, that magical experience of dropping off Kodachrome, you know, Kodachrome uh, Super 8 film at, you know, a photomat and waiting a couple of days for it to come back and then going and picking it up and throwing it up on a projector and hoping that it looked, you know, decent. <laughs> lest, lest we, you know, harvest a bunch of OK Boomer replies to this. Sure. Um, I think that the point here is we're trying to celebrate this and remember how fun it was. And I wish that modern fans could know that enjoyment. I don't know if they do, though. I don't know if they do. I hope it's, they no, do it's somehow. Just, it's the, different, though. The, the anticipation of the con was just was different then. I mean, I would go for the things that I, and, you know, it's, as Joe was talking about, it's for the things that, you know, you can get from the internet. I would go like anticipating what what am I going to hear about what's happening with Star Trek? What things sure. am I going to learn? And and honestly, the the closest thing that um, that I think exists to that experience of being able to um, be a part of conversations with with creators and people who are involved with these shows and really learn things we didn't know, right, has really been through uh, this show. Um, you know, I we. I'm sure we could all just sort of go through the stories that we had never heard before um, from guests on this show. Uh, just things that have come out that that nobody knew um, that shocked even us. And that's an experience that's very difficult to have. And, and as much as I love going to cons now, I don't go to cons for that reason. It doesn't give me that anymore. Right. Now, it's, it's also, there's a, um, I think what we're celebrating is is the love of the game that existed and the lack of cynicism because there was a yes. lot lack uh, a lot less cynicism people weren't saying i'm not going to celebrate star trek because that third season was really bad or, or or you know or find things or or like your costume i could see the zipper it sucks you know it's like that just didn't exist it was just like people would walk up to you who you didn't know and say wow that's really amazing or that's so cool or you know you just start Talk, like you said, talking in the elevator about an episode or, you know, you would all be over here, someone else talking about something and then you don't get excited about it. It's like, you know, Darren, when we used to hang out at the bar Comic-Con and Arena would come on at one in the morning, you know, where yeah. you would get, you just get excited. It was like being a kid again, you know, sitting around all your friends, you know, watching the Gorn. And uh, that was what was so nice about these conventions. And I think that has sort of been lost in the digital age where Shatner's truism has sort of come to pass where people aren't leaving their parents' basement, they're instead staying on social media and going to these virtual cons and just communicating with this group of people via email, you know, via, via social, uh, you know, uh, via TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and, and not having this physical, I mean, that's the thing I think we learned, you know, how to be social by being around other people, you know, and, and learning how to deal with, you know, our anxieties and our you know, phobias and things because we were around other people. We were experiencing what it meant to, to be, you know, to be people human. with different opinions. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I feel that that exists to a lot lesser extent now. Well, uh, with, everything's, with a lot more, everything's a lot more curated now. And I guess to, to follow on your point, Mark, what was wonderful about these conventions at that particular time in my, my life and a particular time in fandom, because there were so few options um, we didn't know how it was going to turn out. We would go into the great unknown in our costumes mm -hmm. and people would be 
surprised and delighted and intrigued by what we had made, we would in turn be gratified and grateful and, and amazed that we could make such an impact sure. because there was nobody else dressed like that, uh, that Vulcan priestess in the world yeah. at that time. What I also and, love, Joe, was the fact that for the cast, it was similar. They hadn't done this hundreds, if not thousands of times. They were nervous, too. You read those early, um, re you know, them reminiscing about what it was like to go to those early conventions in books like The Fifth Year Mission. But they were, um, <laughs> they were, they were um, nervous. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what was expected of them. Would people right. even want to hear from me because I wasn't my character? And they were still uh, far enough from the show, close enough to the show to tell stories that were accurate. They weren't embellishing. Mm -hmm. You know, now they've repeated these stories so many times. They know what the, the punchline is. They bear no resemblance to what actually happened. They're just telling, you know, it's print the legend. And, you know, it's not nearly as satisfying. And it's like, for them, it's really a stand-up show. It's not about imparting anything interesting. But back then, you have people like Isaac Asimov and, and, and these, these luminaries who would come, who had a peripheral uh, you know, association with Star Trek, who would come down and talk and hang out and, and interact with the fans. And you know, now it's like, oh, you want a picture? It's $150. You want an autograph? It's $75. You want more than that? Come to my room. No, you know, it's like, what? what, what, what? I don't even <laughs> okay, know what that's Mr. all Adam about. Off. I told you not I mean, to do then, that. Back then, it was just they would hang out. So, uh, I mean, it was it's just like uh, crazy. But you know, Joe, I mean, it's so great that you could share these 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 true Star Trek memories with us. I mean, some of these pictures are absolutely remarkable, and it's uh, you know, you were sort of like uh, in the thick of it all when it was all you know sort of evolving. Yes. Well, and, and that was it. Um, uh, it was. It was still the wild frontier. It was the great unknown. The human adventure was just beginning. <laughs> well, what a great way to end this episode. I'm so glad that you could join us. And I, I think that there's a lot more to, uh, as the kids say, unpack about Star Trek conventions. So we'll have to, uh, we'll have to revisit this place. Return again. to this place again. Return yes. to this place again, indeed. But uh, for now, I want to, I want to thank Joe for joining us. Of course, our special Trek guest, uh, Mr. Ashley Miller. Uh, and my, of course, my co-host, who makes it a delight every time we get together. And uh, I want to thank Bill Ritter for making us sound as good as we possibly can on Zoom video. Uh, our uh, producer, Natalie Miscali. And of course, uh, you can watch us for free on Electric Now. Just download the Electric Now streaming app wherever you get your apps at any app store. Or listen to us wherever you download your audio podcasts. And of course, listen to our sister shows, uh, The Rebel and the Rogue, a Star Wars podcast. The great, the best movies never made. And um, hopefully we'll be back with new episodes of 430 Movie as well in the very near future. So on behalf of Darren and myself, I'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you next Friday at 10 o'clock for an all-new episode. Until then, keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. Engage.
This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.